This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 319. Today, AC and I are going to cover some of the goings-on in the cloud. Recorded live September the 5th, 2019. Struggling to reproduce problems in your code base? Successful software starts with Raygun. Raygun provides application performance monitoring, unlike anything you've experienced before, offering greater clarity around how your software is performing for your customers than any other APM provider. Easily detect and diagnose issues impacting end users and monitor every part of your stack in one place. It's time to get back to building great software instead of fighting it. Start your journey to better software quality. Try Raygun free at raygun.com today. Good day. It is a good day. <laughs> it is survived. I did. We did survive. Yeah, you said goings on. The title of the show was going on, goings on in the cloud. We had we had a little bit extra of that this week. <laughs> yeah, we had a few extra clouds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So for those of you who don't, if you, who those of you who didn't tune in last week, we had a we were preparing for potentially a hurricane here where I live. I'm in Northeast Florida, and if you're curious, if you go to Google Maps and search for a town called St. John's, Florida, and if you see when you find the word St. John's on the map, I'm very close. I'm within like. I run through that word when I go off my runs in the, in the morning. But um, Hurricane Dorian was, I guess when we last recorded, it was last Friday. And at that time, we thought we were going to be taking more of a direct hit. And over the course of a few days, it stalled out. It unfortunately destroyed Grand Bahama down in the Bahamas. But it stayed about 80 to 90 miles off the coast of Jacksonville. And um, the worst part about a hurricane is probably if you don't take the hit, is all the preparation that you have to do. Because right. if you don't do the prep and it does come, you're in a really bad spot. Yeah. So yeah. it's either don't do the prep and you luck out not wasting the time and nothing happened, or it's don't do the prep and then you are royally screwed. Or you yeah. do the prep and then you never ended up needing it. And or you do the prep and you didn't need it. And we apparently didn't need it. We had one really strong the worst thing that we got was like the, the outer bands came through at like 2.30 in the morning yesterday on September the 4th. But the rest of it, we just happened to sit like right on the, the easternmost out, outer edge of the storm. And it just, we didn't really get hardly any effects. I bet we, I bet we maybe took, had a total of about two or three inches of rain. And I bet you 75% of that came during two squalls at about two and two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. But yeah, gotcha. It was in mean, the city, but mostly fared just fine. But anybody's interested, there's some pretty cool. I put some pictures up on Twitter, and uh, I'll put them in the show notes if you want to take a look at it. You have this. There's a weird. There's a picture from the beach, a couple pictures from the beach of the ocean against the pier, and then there during the height of the storm. And then there's another one, a collection of pictures from a friend of mine out at the beach last night. There's a weird phenomena after a hurricane when it comes through during the day and when it's still close enough, but the sun is still up and as the sun is setting and the sky just goes purple and it's as beautiful. So I put some links up there. Anybody's interested in taking a look at it. Well, I'm glad it worked out well. Yeah, it worked out well. How about you? Where are you? I am currently in Denmark. Ah. I'm traveling for work and visiting two offices that we have in Denmark. So one in Copenhagen and the other one in a town called Vila, which is about a two-hour train ride out of Copenhagen, heading kind of westish. And uh, so that's where I am right now. Yeah, I'm visiting the team here. And if I sound a bit underwhelming this week, 
I'm feeling sick. <laughs> it's been <laughs> I'm an sorry to laugh. It's been an exhausting trip and I've not been sleeping well and uh, it's finally got the better of me. And you, do you ever get those like little bouts of vertigo or anything like that when you're really, really tired? I'm like that and I'm feeling pretty shit. So, part, oh, pardon my French. <laughs> Sorry, pardon, pardon my Danish. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, yeah, it's my first time in Denmark. So I'm having a, I was having a great time and uh, meeting everybody here and seeing a few things and getting some work done, of course. But uh, it's a great place. I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> you sound so excited. I know you're yeah. wiped out, but <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not enjoying it today. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I'd feel the same anywhere at this point. But yeah, no, it's been it's been good. I'm over here, and then I fly back tomorrow. Ah, cool. Well, have an enjoyable rest of the day and uh, flying home. And I'm sure you know, if I didn't say it, then I'm sure one of our listeners would point it out. You do know that there's a whole big Lego set up over there in Dan- and uh, in Denmark. I am about 30 minutes away from the Lego house which is this big new kind of Lego museum exhibit kind of thing. And um, uh, if I had more time, I would definitely go check it out. But I'm going to I'm going to make sure I come a few days early next time and uh, see some more of the sites that are a little bit further away than the downtown. You know? So uh, I'm going to check that out next time. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully. I looked it up and uh, it's pretty awesome. Very so cool. I have to let you down and say that I didn't go this time, but next time. <laughs> Yeah, so um, that's where I'm at. We've got a bunch of news and stuff to get through this week. Should we dive into that? Is there anything yeah, you want so- to we move on or are we good? No, I think we're good, ready to move on. Rock and roll. Let's hear from one of our great sponsors and get stuck into some news. A 99.9% SLA means you're protected from power outages, bad patches, natural disasters, and maybe even a dinosaur attack. Does it protect you from yourself though? Avpoint Backup for SharePoint Online provides full fidelity backup and recovery from individual items to entire sites. Avpoint can run backups up to four times a day to ensure your data is secure. Recover any time you want without having to pick up the phone and schedule restore windows. Learn why Avpoint is the Microsoft Cloud expert at www.avpoint.com. Are you being asked repeatedly to integrate different business systems in ever narrower timeframes and with increasing process complexity? What if you could standardize the way you build these business processes so your team are focusing on higher value tasks versus the nuts and bolts of running the processes and integrations? Nintex can make it happen. With a Nintex platform, workflows from person to person, system to system, to the cloud and back. Got a custom system you want to connect with? No-code extensions let you plug into systems simply and easily using REST and Swagger. With Nintex, work just flows, so your teams can work smarter, work faster, and be more connected than ever. Try it out free for 30 days at www.nintex.com forward slash try NWC. All right, AC, we're going to keep this pretty tight this week. Uh, we're on a bit of a deadline, and I'm in a, another country and not feeling great, so... but. We've got some news to get through. Uh, we've got stuff from Microsoft. We've got some things about Azure, got some AI news, some updates on uh, some things from Slack and Facebook. So should I kick us off or are you uh, you want to kick us off? I will let you drive, uh, go first since you're the one who's hosting the show. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Microsoft has bought a, another company. It's a cloud migration company called Mover. I don't even know how to pronounce it. Mover, Mover A, Mover, 
It's M-O-V-E-R-E. Mouvert? Mouvert. How about Mouvert? I'll guess that. Sounds French, but it's not. It's from, dun, 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 Seattle. Oh, there you go. So they won't have to move very far. (laughs) (laughs) They should be called Shuffler. (laughs) That's right. So yes, Microsoft have bought a new company called Mouvert, which is an 11-year-old company focused on cloud migration. I don't know if it was focused on cloud migration for all of the 11 years that came from some consulting practice or something. Mm. But anyway, it's all about you know moving your stuff to the cloud. And apparently they've got quite a cool, quite a, a use, not cool, quite a useful tool around doing inventory of all of your on-premises systems. I'm guessing Microsoft bought it so that they can put it into their migration tools or program or what have you so that you can better assess what you've currently got and then maybe, I don't know, automate streamlining that to move to Azure or something. Mm, yeah. That's cool. Uh, so a little, sounds like a small acquisition. It was a pretty small company, 11, 12, 15 people, something like that. Mm. Reading. Yeah. Anyway, relatively small acquisition, but we may see some uh, new goodies coming from um goodies from Microsoft in terms of uh, inventorying your on-prem stuff. Hmm, Very cool. You want to go next? Sure. I found, uh, or we have one here from in the Azure space, uh, Azure Azure, Azure cost management updates. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Um, There's a bunch of cost management updates from this past year, from or the past month, um, August 2019. The title of the post it, or the first intro of the post talks about how, you know, you don't want to have a bunch of surprises when you are, yeah. when it comes to the bill and stuff. And that's where Azure cost management is going to come in. They, one of the things that cost management does, and I'm, Azure cost management is like a thing. It's not just like a, a practice. Yeah, it's a product. Or yeah, a tool. product. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They do stuff to try and help you kind of wrap your, your arms around your cloud spend. They've got a bunch of things that they've that they've updated recently, like Oh my um, god, hold the post. They've got dark theme support. <laughs> they have dark theme support, yes. Innovation is real and is alive. <laughs> do you do so completely off topic well not completely off topic now? Do you go switch your, your stuff to dark themes? Mostly, except Outlook. Oh, see, I switched Outlook. I switched Outlook back because everything was dark except the email body. And it really stuck out and was ganky on my eyes. So I switched it back. So that has that has switched. So that is now, oh. the email body is now also black. You can, and there's a toggle that you can switch it back to light if the email is written in a way, email is written so it, it is, is expected to be on white. You can switch it back to white, but it does let you go black. So like you can have an all black outlook. Can you go back though? Yes, you can go back. <laughs> nice try. Nice. And you know what? Hey, remember that thing? Now we're gonna go. Now let's just keep that tangent going. Remember that problem that I was having with Outlook, where the new Outlook has like that sidebar of your calendar on the side, and then yeah, have you seen that? And you okay, couldn't, you couldn't get it back or something. Yeah, it, it disappeared, and then it would come back magically, and then it would disappear again. And yeah. so I finally used their serve, the whole little you know, give them feedback and complain about it. So I clicked it, popped it up, I complained about it. Within about forty-five seconds someone gets back to me and says, so let me understand exactly what's going on. So I told him again, he's like, yep, totally know what you're talking about. Let me look at your account. He could look at it and he could see what email addresses I had connected. He couldn't read my email, but he could see what email accounts I had connected in my Outlook. Hmm. And he said, 
The problem is because it's a known issue specifically with people at Microsoft. And if you have Outlook set up and it's registered to an account, and then you also have a Microsoft address, like I have a vendor account with Microsoft, so I have that added to my Outlook as well, but that vendor account is not the one that Outlook is licensed under, then when Outlook loads, it gets into like a, a race condition of should it show stuff from the first ring or of the releases or from the outer ring? And he's like, so the only way to fix it is to either remove your Microsoft account or uninstall Outlook. And then when you reinstall it, the first account you connect is your Microsoft account and then connect all your other ones. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So now I just kind of like well, roll the dice. You got to the bottom of that actually because it looked pretty tricky. There's no button to turn it on. That's the part that kind of surprised me. But it's it's because I'm I'm going between the new experience and the old experience. So I'm tempted just to kill my Microsoft account and then just have I a reminder. I think you must be on the new one because I don't see that thing over on the right. You don't see it? No. I don't Do you see have? It huh. Oh, well. Yeah. But now I've switched to dark theme. Progress. Okay, so back to the cost management stuff. You can create targeted budgets with filtered costs and forecasted costs. There are cost management labs. I've never really understood too much what this is other than just you can get a sneak peek at what's coming in cost management. It's kind of like preview of cost management. You can save and share customized views and costs analytics. Like I said, dark theme support, more flexibility for creating and managing subscriptions update tags for app service environments. And then there's a bunch of videos that show how to work with it and documentation updates. I use this a little bit in my stuff because I've had a hard time like allocating the costs that I have spent on the podcast with to into our like the shared budget we have for the podcast. And I've noticed using the cost management stuff in Azure has gotten a lot easier to figure that stuff out there. It's nice to be able to figure it out. There's, there's some things though that are always, it's still, you know, kind of tricky I've got this one resource group that's called underscore to be deleted and it's got a bunch of resources in it and it's stuff that I know I don't use anymore. But when I go to delete them, like it's, there's a storage account and it says this storage account contains stuff that is being used by blah, blah, blah service. And I can't find this service that I'm where I'm using it. And it looks huh. like it's Azure function, but I can't find which Azure function it is. So I, really, I want to get rid of it because it's like, I had to track down. Yeah, it is. So, Anyway, that's an update with cost management. Very nice. Oh, while we're on the topic of cost management, yes. just because they're one of our sponsors, for those of you who are listening, you should go check out ShareGate Overcast, which is yes. kind of a cost management app for or product that goes and analyzes your Azure spend and looks at where you could make savings and how to make savings, which is kind of cool. It is cool. It is cool. Okay, on to other things. Uh, latency is the new currency of the cloud, says Microsoft. They're announcing 31 new Azure Edge sites. Crazy, huh? Wow. So basically, this is, uh, I believe, if I've got this correct, these are Edge services so that when you host stuff in Azure and you run things in Azure, that you've got a nice quick entry to Azure from wherever you are in the world for things like CDN and all that sort of stuff. So basically, the idea is to make Azure faster for the, in the last mile, you know, when you're trying to get stuff out to people through a browser or whatever it happens to be. Yeah, so at the edge of their network, making things nice and quick. Yeah, very cool. Or uh, march to the march to the uh, cloud war drumbeat. Everybody trying <laughs> to beat each other in terms of speed and size. True, yeah. 
I've got one here. Uh, another one from Azure is beyond the printed form, unlocking insights from documents with the form recognizer. Yeah, this, this is really cool. This is cool. I had not seen this before. This is from out of the Azure Artificial Intelligence Group. What form recognizer does, it's going to extract key value pairs, tables, and text from documents. So think like W-2 tax statements, like reports, completion reports, invoices, purchase orders, it's really cool that what they've done is they've announced they've got a bunch of additional cool capabilities that they've done where not every time you have like a printed form is it all like nice printed so printed meaning like off a printer a lot of times yeah. you get forms that are filled out by hand what they've done in the artificial intelligence side is that they are announcing in this blog post the addition of handwritten and mixed-mode printed and, and handwriting support that is starting now handling handwritten mixed-mode forms is the new norm. And it's interesting because there you can see there's a picture that they show where there's a, a form where someone has gone in and they filled out some boxes by hand and it's figured out, our, the Azure AI has gone in and figured out what the handwriting was and it put that stuff in the extracted form. And it's pretty impressive because the handwriting is it's not great. It's not good. I have it's like my, yeah. it's it's hard for me to read it, but they figured out that what this person's email was, what their notes were, like the job title. I can't tell that that says IT consultant, but I can from the extraction results. Once I see it, I'm yeah. like, okay, that does say handwritten. Yes, yeah, so you send it a PDF or an image or something, and it'll spit out key value pairs of all the data in it. Pretty sweet. Pretty cool. That's I can sweet. imagine this being useful for you know companies that want to build apps that where customers send them standard forms and all sorts of you know, either printed or you know, or scanned or what have you, and you need to go stick it in a database. Mm-hmm. Pretty sweet. I believe you can also train it for your forms as well. Like you can correct it and stuff like that. Oh, that's cool. I think. I remember seeing a demo of it about six months ago or so, in its early early days coming out of the oven, so to speak. And uh, yeah, it was. I think you could tune it. I don't know if that, that maybe that hasn't made it out. I'm not 100% sure. Mm. Pretty awesome. That's yeah, pretty cool. Hey, speaking of awesome... Mm-hmm. Let's hear from one of our great, awesome sponsors. For those of us familiar with ShareGate, we know they've always been about SharePoint and Office 365 migration. But now that we've all moved to the cloud, like me, you're probably thinking about how to scale your Office 365 to a full self-serve environment without worrying about thousands of groups and teams popping up out of nowhere, AKA Sprawl. That's why the folks at ShareGate developed ShareGate Apricot. It's a solution that helps us automate our Office 365 group governance by allowing us to collaborate with users to keep everyone accountable for the things they create. Their super simple to use in-app experience lets us lighten our load by delegating group management responsibilities to users we trust, AKA no more sprawl. Want to get your hands on ShareGate Apricot? Try it free for 30 days at sharegate.com forward slash cloud show. Okie dokie. Look at a few more things here. AI news. Apparently, I thought this was really cool. There is an AI that's been built that just passed an eighth grade science test. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Pretty sweet, huh? So apparently this was, they tried a few years ago and it was, there was a competition where the prize was 80 grand and nobody, nobody won it. It all failed miserably. They failed the test. They literally failed the test. But this week... The Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence, which I believe is Paul Allen's institute, 
of Oz Powellans Institute, based in Seattle, revol- uh, unveiled a new system that passed the test with a room to spare, and it answered 90% of the questions correctly. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, they give some examples of tests, right? So let's see here. There's basic ones, which are things like a group of tissues that work together to perform a specific function is called, and you get to pick one, two, three, or four. It's multiple choice. An organ, an organism, a system, or a cell. So it's like you got to go look stuff up and understand that question, obviously, and, and give the right answer. Mm-hmm. But then there's others that require logic. Which So the example they give is, which change would most likely cause a decrease in the number of squirrels living in a particular area? A decrease in the number of predators, a decrease in the competition between squirrels, an increase in available food, an increase in the number of forest fires. So that is much harder sort of cognitively than a basic, yeah. which is the correct answer, right? It requires sort of rationalizing. Huh. That's anyway, cool. so apparently it passed with a 90% pass rate. Hmm. So currently AI is as smart as an eighth grader science test. It well, it did better than me to figure out how that handwriting was on that form, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we can do my exams. Yeah. It's a win-win. I've got one here from TechCrunch. Sure. Far away. This one came out this week. A huge database of users' phone numbers have been found online. This exposed server contained more than 400 million records over several databases on users across geographies, including 133 million Facebook users in the United States, 18 million from the UK, and another 50 million records on people in Vietnam. It wasn't protected. It was wide open. Anybody could find it and access the database. And apparently, here's the embarrassing part, but the phone numbers have not been public in more than a year since Facebook restricted access to those users' numbers. So it's interesting how they came about getting this data. And it's also interesting because when you look at the screenshot that they show, it shows that the data was updated as recently as August of 2019. So What is not clear from the article is, is it new data? Like, did they go through and did they get this data from August of 2019? Is this like just a dump of what they were able to pull out? Or is this a real database that they've created and they updated these records in August of 2019? Mm -hmm. So it's not clear clear who's who or what it is, but... Maybe this is Cambridge Analytica striking back at Facebook for (laughs) cutting them off and just releasing a whole bunch of info. Yeah. So it's interesting. This is interesting. I wonder if uh, Have I Been Pwned will use this. I guess there's no email address, right? So you can't tie the two together. There's yeah. no email address. And, I, and I'm, I'm sorry, I missed this one part of the article until just now. A Facebook spokesman says that the data was scraped before Facebook cut off access to users' phone numbers. So Facebook oh, yeah. cut off access to phone numbers a year ago. And even though the screenshots show timestamps from August of 2019, they're saying that this data was pulled from before they actually cut off access to it. So this is not possible today. Is that somebody had done this previously and was, exp- yeah. and was exposing it. Gotcha. Ouch. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, just in time for the elections in the US, so there's more numbers being added to the database for robo-dialing. Sweet. Sweet. Oh, man, I'm excited. <laughs> this is all... No, it's not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't wait for those calls. Not. Yeah. All right, some news from Slack. They came out with their first public earnings report since going public and it wasn't loved <laughs> no it was not loved <laughs> they dropped like as much as 16 percent after the results and it was because they basically came out and said growth is slowing 
mm-hmm. like looking forward, like forward growth projections are slowing, which when you think about it, it's like, huh, is this Teams chipping away at them? Are Microsoft actually having an impact on them? I wonder if that's, it's, I mean, I imagine it's a factor. I don't know if it's the only factor, but um, yeah, anyway, they dropped a bunch there. They did revenue of $145 million, which was pretty decent. They lost some money, I think, a few cents per share, like eight or something like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, and they grew, oh, sorry, yeah, the loss was eight cents, basically, per share. So they're not making money yet, but they grew about 30-something percent, if I've got my numbers correct. Let me just double-check my figures. Revenue grew, sorry, 58%. Slack said revenue grew 58% year over year. So they're growing, but the growth is slowing, apparently. Mm. They gave some forward-looking statement that the market didn't love and uh, it wasn't well-received. They've got a great app. I just, I don't know, they've got to figure out how to carve out a little piece of the ocean for them to own as their own. Well, I think to me, the option is like, is if teams had come out first and Slack had come out second, you wouldn't see this negativity around Slack. And so here's my thinking. If you're on Office 365, it's really, why not just use Teams? I mean, it's already, it's got most of what you're going to get from Slack and a lot more, right? And you get it for free and it's part of your, I mean, Teams doesn't cost anything. It's part of Office 365. It's like Outlook, right? Yeah. If you're not on Office 365, Teams is worthless. It's useless if you're not on Office 365, which not every business is. Lots of small businesses are not. Isn't there a version of Teams that you can get that's not, that's free and it's external and you don't have to be a 365 customer? I thought there was a, I don't know how you I thought there was something like that. I didn't think so. That maybe, maybe so. Mm. So maybe my my thinking, maybe my assumption here then is wrong. I mean, you may be able to shoot this down pretty quick. But if you're, if Teams is already there for people in Office 365, and then Slack came out and said, "Hey, you know that thing called Teams? Yeah, we can do that. You don't have to be in Office 365 to get that same kind of chat capability." So Slack comes out and it's popular. But I don't see a place. Why would you use Slack if your if your organization was in 365 and you already have Teams? I mean, there's parts of Teams that I, I mean, that are. Oh yeah. Not nearly as good as Slack. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, it's kind of passionate too. Go back forth with somebody, and they think that the reply and the threading is better inside Teams. And it, I mean, I get it. I get why you like it. To me, it drives me nuts and yeah. seeing threads jumping up and down in my feed, and I can't tell which one have I read, which one I haven't I read, and the two reply buttons next to each other about replying to the entire group or to creating it yeah. like the word. Just having the two words reply next to each other is ridiculous. It should just be like new post or something like that. Yeah. I don't mind those. I mean, I don't mind the features, but I don't like the layout, the design of teams mm. for some reason. And I, I think it's just too sparse and it's sort of, anyway, it's all subjective stuff. But so it does turn out there is a free version of teams that you can get free, no commitment, $0 per user per month, up to 300 users. You huh. get web versions of Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and OneNote in teams as well. Huh. Pretty cool. Okay. So file storage of, Two gigs per user. I remember reading something about that somewhere. And anyway, I just looked it up. But uh, I think that's their Slack compete. They're trying to compete with Slack. I, I suspect that's not where they're winning against Slack. Like you're, you're right. It's all in the enterprise. But anywho. Hmm. Yeah. So they're, uh, they had some bad results. Just a bit. <laughs> well, good results. I mean, they're growing. They just told people they weren't going to continue. <laughs> <laughs> not exactly. But you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, oh. so should we get on to some picks? Let's get on to some picks. 
But before we do that, let's hear from some great sponsors. CJ's Hyperfish automates the collection of user profile information from users in organizational directories such as Office 365, SharePoint, Active Directory, and HR systems. The secure service supports on-premises, hybrid, and online environments. Bring your directory to life at hyperfish.com. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. All right, AC, picks this week. What do you got for us? I'm going to pull for a pick from a friend of ours who's been on the show quite a bit from his blog post because this is kind of this is pretty cool. Paul Shafeline has created a new project and has published it as a NuGet registry, a NuGet package. It is Microsoft Graph Community Extensions or the Community Library, Graph.community library. So if you go to the graph.community library, you install it in your project, the goal of it is to bring a discoverable modern .NET Core experience for the Microsoft Graph to other endpoints. So what they're doing is the extensions are going to leverage some of the core functionality that we have in Graph, like authorization, compression, and retries, and focus on models and requests for services that are not yet available through the Microsoft Graph. So one of the things that it does is it covers things like Office 365 SharePoint, including things like site designs and older stuff such as navigation, which is not exposed through the Microsoft Graph. What do they fall back to a different endpoint or something? Yeah, so there's a, like in the case of SharePoint, there's a SharePoint REST API version 2.0, which is not, it's not secret, but it's not really, and it's published, but nobody really focuses on it or talks about it all that much. Huh. That's what Graph uses to uh, gotcha. get out of SharePoint. But it doesn't... It's like underscore API stuff. Yeah. Graph only exposes things like lists and sites collections. It doesn't do a whole bunch of other stuff. So what, what Paul's project does is it exposes other parts. Right now, it's exposing other parts of the SharePoint endpoint that is not currently exposed that way. But the nice thing is, is that it's leveraging pieces that from, the Share, from the Graph SDK um, that makes life easier, like dealing with the authentication piece, automatic retries, compression... Things of that nature. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So a cool little community project there. The nice thing too is that it's based on .NET Core, which some people may say, well, what about the Microsoft's SharePoint client-side object model, the CSOM? Well, that's not .NET Core. They want to make it .NET Core, but it's not .NET Core. And they're trying their, yeah. their efforts to port it to .NET Core, but it's taking its time. SharePoint doesn't do the best job of like terms of timing and finishing stuff that they've started to. So hello, modern. <laughs> Yeah. Are you there yet? No. How about you? What you got for us? <laughs> okay. We could get carried away with that, couldn't we? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, cool. So you're a electric car aficionado. Yep. Yeah? Sure. Porsche have come out with a new EV. Actually, mm-hmm. their first EV. Mm-hmm. Are uh, you looking, you know about this, the Taycan? Oh, yeah. Is <laughs> a sensational six-figure electric sports car starting at $150,000, gulp. Uh, and there's apparently two models, the Turbo and the Turbo S, even though neither of them have a Turbo, <laughs> 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 which is pretty hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have you read about its specs? What's your take on this? It's really cool. It's very cool. Like, does it stack up very well to like what Tesla's doing? It does in every way uh, except for one. But... Yes, this thing is, it's cool. I mean, in terms of the power and the speed and everything, it can do 
you know, it's got the ballpark of the same kind of horsepower in terms of 750 horsepower for the Turbo S. It can do a zero to 60 wow. in less than three seconds or can do a zero to 60 in, th- in three seconds. The Turbo S can do it in 2.6. It's got the similar size battery pack that the Teslas have where, you know, ballpark around 100 kilowatts. The, the Taycan's got about 93 kilowatt battery pack. And it's also about a little over 5,000 pounds, which it says is a few pounds lighter than the current version of the Tesla Model X. But I'm not so sure about that. My Model X is over 6,000 pounds. That's not a few pounds less. That's like 900 pounds less. Which is just a few pounds lighter. Yeah, that's weird. Anyway. Okay. So it stacks up okay in terms of electric specs, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. In In terms of like the tech specs, it's ballpark about the same here. Where do you think it lets things down? The charging network. I mean, that hands uh, down, yeah. the thing that Tesla just beats the, the pants off everybody else is the supercharger network. And you only use that when you're on a road trip. You don't use that around town during the day because, it, frankly, it's just inconvenient. It's better to just plug it in at home and it's going to charge when you're at home. And, it's, and you just get a, a, a bigger plug and a bigger pipe at home. And mm-hmm. when I say that, it, that's, it really is. That's trivial. That's like 100 bucks or 200 bucks to have the equivalent of a modern clothes dryer plug, a 240 volt circuit with a big four prong plug. That's all you need to go through and to, you know, to plug in a, a Tesla. Mm-hmm. Porsche has said that Porsche has promised to build its charging stations capable of 350 kilowatt and its dealerships and its parent company Volkswagen has begun building out a network of chargers in North America. But it's one thing to say it. It's one thing to promise it. It's another thing to actually have it done. And right now, that and to get coverage, exist. right? Yeah. And right yeah. now, that doesn't exist. And when you look at this, the, the Tesla, go to the Tesla site and look at their supercharger network. Uh, you can drive at least in North America. I can go anywhere, and I can be on a road trip, and I can choose yeah. usually to skip one or two superchargers before I have to stop. Whereas right now with these, I'd have to stop, and they can't yeah. use, use the same size plug. So. Yeah, gotcha. I know that there was a there was a time when both when Tesla was or when Porsche was talking to Tesla about investing in their supercharger network so that Porsches could could use the supercharger network, but it never went through. And so I'm not surprised. That is like if I was Tesla, I'd be protecting that at all costs, right? Because that's going to be their that's going to be their first mover advantage for a really long time. Like not the only one. It's yeah. going to be a first mover advantage that is super, excuse the pun, hard to replicate, right? Like it, that, that's a lot of work. It is. But I mean, you look at I me, mean, Tesla's had, you know, their issues with like cash and everything. And so you can imagine a serious influx of cash and people who want to spend, you're talking about buying a competitor car, a Porsche right now, pet competitor car that is 50% more expensive than the equivalent yeah luxury car from Tesla. So it doesn't compete is what you're saying, basically. I don't think it really does. Yeah. I personally don't think it does, but I mean, that's right now. Porsche could come out with a $100,000 EV and then they do compete with it. So, you know, Tesla could come out with a $150,000 Roadster. Exactly. (laughs) Which they are. (laughs) So I don't know. I mean, that's the downside that they have that, that right now, that's the thing that they've got. Yeah. Got it. Got it. It's right, awesome. so it, it'll work if you don't want to go far. Like if you know, cruising around town and 
all that sort of stuff and not, you know, it's got like a 300 mile range or 280 mile range or something. So you can go quite a way, but if you want to go on a trip, you're not going to be able to use the network, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a 300. They're saying that the higher end version is supposed to go around 300 miles on a full charge. That's one. And then they're also saying that Porsche is also trying, is going, is, has plans to come out with a version of the Taycan that is under a hundred grand. So. Interesting. Anyway, I love a bit of competition. Well, yeah. if it's not, but whatever. I mean, technology competition, you know, it would be, it'd be cool to... It's interesting. I hadn't thought about the network. It's a big advantage they've got. You know, Tesla. one little thing on that, it, what's nice about this, and this is not me saying, you know, being the Tesla fan, but for so many years, people have been trying to get alternative vehicles on the road that are not purely ICE cars, you know, internal combustion cars. And we've had things like electric cars. We've had things like hybrids doing with a hybrid motor. We've had people trying to do like fuel cells and stuff like that. It's really cool to see that we're finally at the point. And I think Tesla has been a significant factor in this. But it's really cool to see that all these other companies are really starting to get serious about electric, pure electric offerings, not just hybrids. And so much so that you see in the racing series too, where a lot of R&D goes in from the engine manufacturers and from other like tire manufacturers. They do a lot of stuff to prop these racing leagues up from NASCAR to IndyCar to F1 because that's where they develop a lot of their tech, a lot of their hybrid technology Mm -hmm. and stuff too. Mm -hmm. And uh, case in point, IndyCar has been trying for years to get another engine manufacturer to be involved in the league. Uh, It's always been Honda and... um, it's always been Honda and Chevy and they've been trying to get somebody else involved and they have not been able to do it. But until now, the way that they're going to do it now is they, and starting in 2022, they are going to have a hybrid engine that's going to be out there. Effectively, they're going to introduce their own curves, a kinetic energy recovery system, yeah. which F1 does. Now, yeah. IndyCar is going to be interesting because they do something different than F1 where they do, they have super speedways and it's kind of, well, what are you going to do with that electricity? Because the in an F1, you use when you're going through the turns, they're going through the corners. That's when the curve system collects the excess torque and everything, uses mm-hmm. that as storage as energy. So when the cars come out of the come out of the pits or when they come out but of, you a never tr- break an Indy on those circuits. Right, you never break. Yeah. And so in Indy, it's kind of like, what are you, how are you going to use how are you going to use curves on the super speedways? They've already said they're going to be able to use it for the push to pass, which is like an extra fifty horsepower, but that's only street and road courses. So, mm, gotcha. But guess what? Now that they've said this, guess who's interested in now being an engine, man, engine manufacturer in two years or three years with for IndyCar? McLaren, Porsche, Porsche. Gotcha. Okay. Porsche is the other big one that's been interested. In, so interesting. I thought McLaren would as well because. They make a lot of the curves and electronics for F1 for all the other, for all the teams, like the engine management, the standard components of an F1 car between all the teams. They've got some standard electronics around engine management and all that sort of stuff, telemetry and all those sorts of things. Anyway, yeah, they don't make their own F1 engines, I guess. So that's yeah. Well, anyway, not right now, but we'll see. I mean, they've they've joined up, they've partnered with one of the other teams, so we'll see where that goes over the years. Cool. Yes. Sir. Nice one. All right. Well, thanks for bearing with me in my downstate this week, AC. I look forward to being back in chipper fashion next week. No worries, man. Sometimes we got to carry each other. And uh, this week, I'm just going to carry you. Yeah, fair enough too, man. (laughs) Totally get it. (laughs) Hey, nice t-shirt, Millennium Falcon guy. All right. right. Yeah. (laughs) 
have a good rest of your week and uh, we'll see you back stateside next week. Yeah, you too, man. Have a safe trip home. Will do. Cheers. Bye. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in iTunes. Word of mouth recommendations are the most effective ways for us to grow the show. We'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as an MP3 or WAV file and provide a link so we can play your question on the show. Our theme music is brought to you by Keith Ritchie. For more information on Keith's music, head to music.kritchie.com. You can subscribe to us in iTunes and Google Play Store by searching for Microsoft Cloud Show or via RSS at microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll also find show notes of each episode. You can also find us on Facebook searching for Microsoft Cloud Show or on Twitter at MS Cloud Show. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to our website and entering your email to interact with us, participate in upcoming interviews, and other cool stuff. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.